In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. Like I'm sure a number of you in this room or watching online, I was not raised an Episcopalian. I was only received into the church later in life as an adult. I grew up Roman Catholic. And as is traditional for Roman Catholics, when going through confirmation, I chose a saint's name as a confirmation name, Joseph. And I chose Saint Joseph for a couple of reasons. I had a great uncle who I completely adored named Joseph, and so partly it was in honor of him. It was also partly to do with my uh, contrarian streak Growing up Roman Catholic, there was so much emphasis on the Virgin Mary, such a reverence for her, that there was a part of me that was always like, yeah, but what about Joseph? You know, he was there too. Now being a father of an infant son myself and having watched my wife carry our son for nine months of pregnancy and then go through childbirth and now breastfeeding, I'm okay with Mary having more of the spotlights. But all joking aside, there's, there's also something more to this dynamic within the Holy Family of Mary being a bit more in the foreground and Joseph being a bit more in the background. And that's simply because there's more information in the scriptures of, about Mary than there is about Joseph. We see Mary throughout Jesus' life, unlike Joseph, who is there and present for his son's birth and for his childhood, but then who disappears from the text. And we have Mary's own words. We have snippets of her conversation with angels and with her cousin Elizabeth and, of course, with her son. And perhaps most beautifully, we hear Mary sing her very own song, the Magnificat. But Joseph's role is a silent one. We have no direct speech from him in our Gospels. And so Joseph remains a bit enigmatic, a little mysterious, Without his own words, we are left to infer as much as we can about him from the information that we do have in the Gospels. But if we attend to these details, I think that what emerges is a figure in Joseph who is worth venerating in his own way. In particular, we find in Joseph a model of what it really means to be righteous. Out of the four Gospels, Matthew is the one that focuses the most on Joseph, especially in the story of Jesus' birth. The Gospel begins with Jesus' genealogy, which is traced ultimately through Joseph. And unlike in Luke, where an angel visits Mary, in Matthew it is Joseph who gets an angelic visit, as we saw in today's Gospel passage. This angel appears to Joseph in a dream thus linking this Joseph with another Joseph from the Old Testament, the son of Jacob, the owner of that multicolored cloak, who also receives messages from God in his dreams. 
And it is Joseph who, after Jesus' birth, when he's a newborn, plays another pivotal role and receives another angelic dream message, this time instructing him to take his family and flee to Egypt in order to avoid the murderous scourge of King Herod, who is trying desperately to find the newborn Messiah and kill him. And later, Joseph receives more angelic dreams, telling him it is now safe to return with his family to Israel and to settle in Galilee. Thus, the general picture of Joseph that the Gospel of Matthew paints is of a faithful servant, a man who is consistently following God's call when it appears in his life. It's no surprise, then, that the collect for the feast of St. Joseph remembers him for his obedience. And in this collect, we too pray for the grace to likewise be obedient to God's call. But for me, the most fascinating piece of Joseph's story occurs before he receives these angelic dreams, before he learns of his vocation as the human stepfather to the godly Messiah, before he has his prominent role in salvation history. Back when he is simply a man engaged to a woman, and he finds out that his betrothed, a virgin, has become pregnant. And what does Joseph do? Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. This one line of scripture holds, I think, the most important hints about who Joseph really was, about his character. You see, by planning to dismiss Mary to end their engagement, Joseph was taking a personal risk in order to try and protect Mary. And that's because, according to the laws of the Torah found in Deuteronomy that govern sex and marriage, if a betrothed virgin like Mary is unfaithful, pregnancy in this case being evidence of this supposed infidelity, the punishment is death by stoning. Now, by the time the Gospels were written, the interpretation of these laws had softened somewhat, and so it was unlikely that Mary would have been killed, but she would have absolutely faced severe punishment and intense public shame that likely would have followed her for the rest of her life. If Joseph were simply going by the book, so to speak, he would have reported Mary to the authorities, but he doesn't. Instead, he decides to dismiss her in an attempt to save her from punishment and at risk of his own reputation because now he, Joseph, he is the one creating a scandal by calling off an engagement. This one line seems to show a portrait of a man in Joseph who is courageous, a man who is looking out for the vulnerable, a man who understands that interpreting a law, interpreting the law of God means much more than just taking a simple law and following it. No, it's about applying the entire thing to a given situation. This, this is what it means to be righteous. I had a professor in divinity school, a Christian ethicist, who often drew a distinction between being smart and being wise. Being smart is simply knowing a bunch of stuff. 
And don't get me wrong, it's hard, it takes hard work to be smart, to be an expert in a field or in a profession or in any area of life. But being wise, this is much, much harder. Because it's not just knowing a bunch of stuff. No, being wise is about knowing how to apply what you know to the real world. And it often means that you need to synthesize competing and contradictory data points in light of a particular challenge. Back in Joseph's day, I'm sure there were a bunch of smart people, people who could quote the Torah frontwards and backwards, who could dole out punishments and blessings by following the rule book very well. But in Joseph, we see a wise man who doesn't simply follow one law, but instead synthesizing all competing parts of the law. Yes, laws about marriage, but also laws about protecting the vulnerable. And he is able to arrive at the righteous outcome. For the last few weeks, you've heard a number of us clergy up here preach about how Advent is this time for preparation as we look forward to Jesus' arrival. But Advent is also, in a way, a preparation for the whole year to come. In Advent, we start a new liturgical year, in our case, year A, during which we will primarily hear from the Gospel of Matthew on Sundays. And one of the main questions that the Gospel of Matthew is wrestling with was how early Christians could follow both the Torah and Jesus. How could they be loyal to the scriptures that had been handed down to them while also following God's Son when he suddenly and surprisingly appeared on the scene? This is a pressing concern and one that applies to us in our world in this moment as we live in this world that is rapidly changing, in a country that is ever more in crisis, as we worship in a church that is shrinking day by day. We ask ourselves, how do we honor tradition while also letting ourselves be moved by the Spirit? It's no coincidence, then, that the introductory character to the whole Gospel of Matthew is Saint Joseph, a man who has to wrestle with these very questions and who demonstrates how to wisely and righteously follow God. And so my prayer for us today is that we may likewise be filled with Joseph's righteous spirit, both as we journey through this final week of Advent and as we set off into this new year. Amen. The Chapel of the Cross is an Episcopal church in the heart of Chapel Hill and the university community. Find out more at thechapelofthecross.org. There you can find our latest news and events, connect with our pastoral care team, Faith in Action Ministries, and offer a prayer request. You can also find us on social media, on Instagram at the Chapel of the Cross, and on Facebook and Twitter at C-O-T-C Chapel Hill. May you be nourished by the word to serve in the world.